So I know we got some sports fans in here. Few. Have you ever, how many of you have ever seen, I won't say your team. I won't bring up painful memories. Have you ever seen a team assume victory a little too early? <laughs> Just a little too early, you know, they, they, they think they got it, you know, we got it, we're good. And maybe it's football and you see the team go to prevent defense. How many of you shudder in that moment? You know, because all prevent does is prevent you from winning. You, you can't stop the other team and prevent defense. And yet there's something about human nature that we, we want to call it early, don't we? Like when we get comfortable with something, we're like, okay, that's, that's good enough. You know, you know, you remember the Super Bowl where the Atlanta Falcons were up, what, 28 to three. And they thought the first half was good enough. Unfortunately for them, you had to play all four quarters. And the Patriots did what the Patriots do. And they came back. Well, we see the temptation is is always there to want to either stop early or in a sense, rest on what we've already accomplished instead of moving forward and continuing to, to press, continuing to put the effort in, continuing to work. We, we many times just want to cut it short. And so this week, we're going to look in Nehemiah six fifteen through 7, 3 at ensuring victory. You know, this series is called Vision, Valor, and Victory. It, it, in the end, a whole lot of what we do isn't going to matter if we don't see it all the way through to the end. You know, like I said, the Atlanta Falcons had a wonderful first half, but did it matter? No. They don't have a trophy. They didn't, you know, get to celebrate at the end. They got to watch their lead just slip away as, as the game went on. And life in many ways, especially in the spiritual realm, it's going to present moments where we're going to think we've got it. This is good. This is good enough. And yet God has not told us to quit. And so look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. And it says, so, and this is a great line in here. We've got, we got to memorialize it. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, on the month of Elul, in 52 days. Now that would seem like a victory, right? And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was in the because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah the son of Ariah, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam the son of Berechiah as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built. And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the, 
governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. So as we see what happens here, I mean, there's something amazing. They finished the wall around this huge city. A, a massive wall, a fortification, they're, they're now safer than they were before. And yes, this is a victory. I mean, this is, this is amazing. 52 days. And you know, just as we look at this, this has been quite a journey. In 52 days, what have they done? They've not only built a wall, but they've learned how to defend themselves. They've learned how to respond to threats. You know what never happened in those 52 days? An attack. Think about all of the the effort that went into defending, to setting up defense. They're carrying a sword with them while they work. All of this that was going on, and the attack never came. How many things in your life do you worry about that never come? Now, does that mean we don't prepare? That means we, no, they, they prepared for them, they set guards, and the reason the attack never came is because they showed wisdom in the process. But the attack never came, and in 52 days, they completed the wall. Now, what does Nehemiah do at this point? Does he go home? All right, guys, I'm done. Peace out, drop the mic, I'm out. I mean, was his goal simply to build the wall and now we're done and, you know, I go back to my life now of being cupbearer and it's all over? No. But one of the things I want us to learn through this is that faithfulness is victory. Okay, faithfulness is victory. We kind of get, because of our culture, just because of, you know, Many of us are so sports-oriented. We, we like a hard end to things of, like, who won, right? I mean, it's, we just want that. Like, who won, who lost, let's make it clear, and it's over. Unfortunately, in the spiritual realm, it doesn't work that way. Now, there will come that hard ending when Jesus returns and all are judged, and it's going to be clear who won. But until that moment, we don't ever stop. We don't get to say, okay, I was faithful to God, I won, I did what I was supposed to, and now it's over. Well, what's over? Is your life over? No, life didn't end. The sun came up the next day. Do you think God has continued faithfulness he wants you to walk in? Now, maybe a victory was had, and this wall was a major victory. There were political forces. There were spiritual forces. There, there was everything that was happening to try to keep this from occurring. But once the wall was finished, did everybody just give up and go home and say, okay, well, we did it. Congratulations. Good job. No. There was more to be done. What this victory did was allow for the next project, the next thing to be faithful in and to follow God. And sometimes we will get discouraged, okay? And I mean that. We will get discouraged if we 
misunderstand and misdefine what success in the Christian life is. Because as soon as the wall is finished, the attack never came, but what starts happening? These same guys that were threatening attack, these same guys that were trying to distract them, these same guys that were against everything that's happening start writing letters. The politics began. And I mean it, the politics now begin. Why? Because we've shifted battlefields. They now have a wall. They are now a power in the area. The, the power structure has changed. But guess what? Tobiah and Sambalat and these other people, they're still evil. They didn't just give up and go home and say, well, I guess we lost. They're not going to give up their influence and their power that quickly. And so what happens? Nehemiah takes the next step in protecting and rebuilding the city. Why? Because he understands faithfulness is victory. He just has to continue to be faithful to what God has called him to in his life day after day after day, and everything will be all right. It will work out in the end. You know, I heard a saying that said, everything will work out in the end, and if it isn't working out, then it isn't the end. And I thought, I kind of like that. You know, everything will work out in the end, and if it isn't working out, then it isn't the end. We've got more to go. We've got more to do. God's got more to teach us. And so we strive for faithfulness all the days of our lives. We never outgrow it. And that's why I say sometimes we want that hard end of like success, failure, who won, who lost. And we want to be able to, in a sense, put it behind us as, yes, that was a win. But listen, faithfulness isn't like that. Faithfulness is just something we walk in. It's something we just continue day after day after day. And yesterday's faithfulness isn't good enough for today. And we can't worry about tomorrow's faithfulness because we're not there yet. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. We have to be faithful one day at a time. And we can't ever close it up and say, okay, well, I was faithful. I did my part. Now I'm done. You see, it's all connected. When we are faithful, God builds and does amazing things in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our world. But it takes repeated faithfulness. And if our goal is simply to be faithful, not, you know, results driven. Because when we become genuinely results driven rather than driven by faithfulness, we'll start trying to force things that maybe God didn't tell us to do. We'll start trying to rush things that God has told us to wait. And we may even start doing things God has said no to. Because we want to be in control. But if faithfulness, just doing what God says day after day. Man, that sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, when I say it, it just seems so easy. Just be faithful day after day after day after day. And yet, when we are, something amazing happens. Now, there was something that kind of hit me as I was preparing this sermon this week. In Matthew 5, 16, there's a verse that we all know, and we love it. What is it? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Man, we like that verse, right? Let's do good deeds. But did you ever think about those good deeds might upset people in this world? 
What are the good deeds God calls us to do other than be light and darkness? To expose darkness. To be a worker of what is good and right in this world. And so when you have people like Tobiah and Sanballat and, and that crowd working against it, when you do your work, it's going to upset them. Okay, what does it say here? It says that they saw the works of God and they, quote, fell greatly in their own esteem. You know what that is? They fell greatly in their own esteem. That is God being glorified in this world. What did it say? Let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify God. And there is nothing that glorifies God as much as people falling in their own esteem because they perceive God. When he's put, when God is put in the proper place and we're put in our proper place, God is glorified. That doesn't mean that people have to like it. Sometimes I think we forget that, that like God will be glorified whether we agree or not. And guess what? Nehemiah did the good work that God sent him to do. He let his light shine. What was his light? He's a guy who got stuff done faithfully. He's a guy who focused faithfully every day on what God wanted him to do. And he didn't let fear stop him from moving forward. And he let that light shine. And in 52 days, they completed a wall that nobody thought could happen, that had remained torn down for 70 years when it should have been rebuilt. That wall has been rubble for over, for, for over 100 years. And this guy comes in and in 52 days cleans it up and is like, look, we could have done this a long time ago. Guess what? He's letting his light shine. He's being who God called him to be. And there are a lot of people who were upset about it. There were a lot of people that were opposed to it. And God says, good, look, you failed. I won. And I think we've got to get back to a little bit of this understanding that when God wins, there are people that are not going to like it. And that's okay. They cannot like it. God is still glorified in it. They saw the work and they glorified God by understanding that the work was His, the victory was His, and that they were powerless to stop it. They thought they were something special, and it says they fell greatly in their own esteem. What does that mean? They stopped thinking so highly of themselves. They were humbled. They marshaled every bit of resources they had. They, they thought they had worldly power. They thought they had influence. They thought they could stop this. And they did everything that they knew to do to stop it. And guess what? 52 days. They looked at it and probably said, wow, we are ineffective. I thought I was better than that. I thought I had more than that. They, and they are humbled in their own eyes. And that is good. What is one of the chief things that Jesus said? Any man would be my disciple, let him what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All of us, when we fall in our own esteem and then ascribe that worth to God and see what his work is, he's glorified. And when we bring that same attitude to a daily walk with Jesus, we see faithfulness is success. Just simply doing what God wants you to do in this world over and over and over and walking with Him in humility, serving Him in ways that matter, 
That's success. That is success, and we need to rejoice in it, and we need to rejoice in it in each other. When's the last time you encourage somebody that you see that they are, are trying and they're doing their best to walk faithfully and you see it over and over and over? Some of y'all have known each other for a very long time. Do you compliment and encourage each other and say, you know what, your faithfulness inspires me. We need to do that with each other. Because faithfulness is success. Because when we stop living by faithfulness, then that means we start determining what we can and what we can't do in the kingdom, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. We start to make judgments that God hasn't called us to make. And we will start resting on yesterday's faithfulness. And I have seen this over and over in churches. I've seen it in people. That God used them at one time in a mighty way, and they they, they were very faithful here, but then for some reason, it's not that they entered into overt rebellion or, you know, known sin. They just stopped serving. They just stopped pursuing that faithfulness with passion each day. And, and they start getting further and further from making an influence for God in this world. And pretty soon, all they talk about is what God did in the past. And that's wonderful. I want us to celebrate what God has done in the past. But you know what I want even more? I want us celebrating and being involved in what God's doing in the present. Because yesterday's over. And when we start doing that, all of us, okay, Christians, we start to become what I call a road Christian. Anybody in here know what a road Christian is? It means you are retired on active duty. Too many road Christians in this world that say, you know what, I've served my time. Really? You're still alive. Your time isn't over until you step into the presence of God. Until then, we all, all of us, are called to continue to serve God faithfully until the end. Now, does the type of work that we can do change? Yes, it does. And I'm not denying that at all. Okay, there comes a time for people to work in the nursery and work with children's ministry. And then there may come a time that's like, you know what? I got to hand that off to someone else. I don't have the energy for that anymore. I it's just not me anymore. My giftings have changed. My season of life has changed. And that's not where I best serve God anymore. But that doesn't mean that you stop altogether. That means you find that new place of service. You plug in and you use your gifts. I have been a part of churches where road Christians were the norm. And this, you just see the effects over and over of trying to get, you know, could you imagine Nehemiah going into the city and saying, okay, we've got to rebuild this wall. And they're like, you know what, I'd, I kind of worked on my house some, and I'm tired now, so find other people to build it. And Nehemiah's like, hey, this is your city. I know, but, you know, it's not really my deal anymore. You know, I served Jerusalem for a while. It's, I'm good. I don't think I'll get involved. You know what doesn't happen in 52 days if that was the attitude? A wall doesn't get built. And so we really, we have to understand that faithfulness is success. And that just means that just continues. It doesn't end. It just goes on and on and on. 
And the more of us realize that and, and just grab hold of it, that faithfulness is success and our call is to be faithful. And if we will be faithful to what God wants us to do as a church, as individuals, as families, and we're just faithful to it over and over and over, God will do amazing things. But the results are His. He's in charge of that. And so if we do something, you're like, well, it didn't quite work how I thought. Were you faithful? Yes, I was faithful to what God gave me. I did the best I could. Then you won. Now keep being faithful to whatever it is you have now. Because maybe the results, God is working in a different way than you thought. Maybe the very process of you being faithful through something that was trying was the goal. You know, I remember when I was in college, God kept taking me back to the book of Ephesians. And... I kind of kept looking for that hard, like, here's the reason. You know, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out. And I would just keep reading. I'd read the book of Ephesians over and over and over and over. And, you know, I'd go read something else. And my friends even make fun of me. And they're like, you know, there are other books in the Bible. And I was like, I know. And I would read. But God would just keep bringing me back to it. This went on for like four years. And finally, I really, I was like, God, I was getting frustrated myself. I'm like, God, what am I missing? Why do you keep bringing me back here? Like, I feel dumb. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing. Like, I, was I supposed to learn something like three years ago, and now I'm just wandering in the desert? And finally, when God released me from that, I said, God, what was the point? And he says, the point was the journey. The fact that I would listen and just keep doing it and keep doing it, he taught me something about persistence and faithfulness through it. It wasn't that there was some great, wonderful secret in Ephesians that I was supposed to learn. It was the process that was involved that he wanted to take me through. And apparently it took me four years to learn it. Which, you know, maybe I'll be like six weeks or something, I don't know. But we cannot retire on active duty. We can't. The world, there's too much to be done. There is too much work in the kingdom of God. There, there are too many people affected by those who want to step out and say, I'm good, I've done enough. You know what, maybe you've done too much in the past. If you did and, and you burned out, well, God understands that and he wants you to take time to heal, but he never wants you to step out, of, out completely. He doesn't want his children on the sideline watching just a few work really, really hard. Did you know in church life, there's what is often referred to as the 80-20 rule? How many have heard of that? You know what the 80-20 rule is? 80% of the work, 80% of the giving is done by 20% of the people. And it's such a hard and fast rule across the world that literally entire ministries are planned with that in mind. Hey, we have this many people. What's 20% of that people? Okay, here's how many people we're going to have be involved. And we know that those 20% are already going to be involved in a whole lot of other stuff. And so we know they're going to be tired. So we've got to reduce that down even more. To me, I, that just, I don't like that. I don't like even having to have that thought in planning and looking forward. Because God calls all of us to faithfulness. But what happens is we get this idea that we're going to somehow arrive. How many know what I'm talking about there? 
I'm going to arrive. When, when, I just, when this just happened, when I get there, when, when this clears up, when this is better, and we, we kind of always set our sights on the future of when, when this happens, then it'll be good. Then life will be better. Then I'll be happy. Then our church will be this. That arrival thinking is not biblical. It's not. It's not what God wants. What does he want? He wants faithful thinking. My job is not to arrive. My job is to walk faithfully day by day. And if I'm faithful today, then I finish the day and say, God, thank you for your grace that enabled my faithfulness. And we start again tomorrow. God, help me to be faithful today to your calling, to your work. And when we get rid of the arrival thinking, then guess what? We stop getting frustrated at life. We stop getting frustrated at the problems that come at us that we feel like are keeping us from arriving. You know why? Because we're always going to have an opportunity to be faithful to God no matter what's going on. Amen? We'll always have an opportunity to be faithful, which means you can be successful every single day of your life in a way that you can be proud of with God and say, God, you did this. I did this with you. This was good. Today was a good day because I was faithful. And we stop trying to arrive somewhere where everything's going to suddenly be wonderful. And so, we, as we grab hold of this faithfulness thinking, we start to realize our faith is the victory. When I say faithfulness is victory, listen to 1 John 4, 5. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The fact that you can continue walking faithfully despite the challenges of this world, despite the setbacks, despite everything that's happening, so long as you continue to walk in faithfulness, John tells us right here, you won. You won. The world couldn't stop you. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I see in our media a whole lot of efforts in our world to stop people of faith from believing, from meeting, from, from being encouraged by their faith. I mean, it, we, we are attacked literally from every angle with propaganda that is anti-Christian. And you know what? Yet here we are singing praises to our God, looking into His Word, loving on each other as God wanted. Guess what? We won this week. We won. We're here. We're still worshiping Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to challenge the world to come at us even harder. But you know what? We'll, we'll still be here. Because what does John say? He says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That is our victory. And don't let Satan convince you otherwise. And Nehemiah understood this aspect of faithfulness. And so, with that aspect of faithfulness in mind, that faithfulness is victory, we have to beware compromise. Those little things that will draw us away from faithfulness. Those little things that we will rationalize in our mind as it's not that bad. It's really okay. You, you just don't understand. 
And we start rationalizing it with God as being okay, and it's not. And that's exactly what happened. The wall being completed was a physical barrier that separated the people of Jerusalem from those that would harm them. But in finishing the wall, the true problem was revealed. And what was it? The compromise of the people of Jerusalem. The compromise of everything that happened. And so step one was building the wall. And step one was necessary to reveal and overcome the problems in step two. You see, once they no longer had direct control because the wall is up and they're now secure, they had to reveal themselves through their duplicity, through their compromise. Listen in verse 17 again what it says. Moreover, in those days, the nobles, so the leaders, okay, the the ones that should know better, In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Now, who is Tobiah? This is the guy that's been against them every step of the way. This is the guy that threatened to kill them. This is the guy that has lied about them. This is the guy that has tried to get them to compromise at every single step. What business do the nobles of Jerusalem have writing letters back and forth with Tobiah? They're compromised. It says, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Ooh. They weren't just kind of compromised. These were people who had literally almost sold their soul to have a seat at a table that they should have never been at. And Nehemiah knows it. You know, this is one of those times you kind of wonder how long has Nehemiah known? And he's watching them as they build the wall, knowing you, (laughs) you sold us out. You did this. You're one of the reasons Tobias writing me letters. But did he stop him from building? No, go ahead, lift those heavy rocks, build the wall. Because it will come back on your own head. Remember when Nehemiah prayed, God send their taunts back on their own head. Guess what? That prayer was answered. That prayer was answered when it says they fell greatly in their own esteem. That prayer was answered. They saw the truth about who they were. Their taunts were returned to their own head. And you see, Nehemiah just continues to be faithful, knowing that God will handle it in time. In verse 19, it says, Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence. Now you know something's up there. This guy's been against them every step of the way, and suddenly you have a group of influential people show up and say, you know, we need to talk to you about Tobiah. You know, he's not really that bad a guy. And you look at him and say, don't you have a vested interest in a business arrangement with him? Yeah, why don't you leave my office? I got nothing to say to you. And it says that what? Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. See, Tobiah was clearly a corrupting force in that area, okay? If there was an emissary of Satan in that area right there, Tobiah was clearly it. And so, he was not going to relinquish control without a fight. And as soon as he lost the battle over the wall, he began his next phase of battle. Which would require what? Faithfulness from those on the other side. They, they couldn't stop. And so there, there are a few things that I want us to, to learn out of this. Is One, our enemy never rests and neither can we. 
Our enemy never rests, and neither can we. Now, when I say rest, I mean we just have to be aware that his entire goal is to get us to compromise just over and over. He's just going to keep, he's just going to keep coming. And that's what I think we want this arrival thinking is that maybe I'll get to a point of spiritual maturity where that will stop. It won't. In fact, the more mature you get, the more he's going to come at you. If Satan is leaving you alone, that's when you should worry. You know, it's like when you have toddlers and it gets quiet. That's when you worry. That's when you know something's going on. You know, you're going to hear the words, I'm being very careful. You're going to know. The wall was a tremendous victory, but the battle for the soul of Jerusalem was still going. Now think about that. The wall was a tremendous victory, 52 days. I mean, nobody thought it could be done. God did it. It's an amazing thing, and it should be celebrated. But immediately, Nehemiah, he did not stop. He didn't pat himself on the back. What did he do? He started posting guards, and he says, here's how this is going to work. Now that we have a wall, we start phase two. What was phase two? They got to build the houses. They got to rebuild the city. They got to guard the city. But now they know how to guard the city because now there are gates. Now there are weak points. And now they get to operate, if you will, in a little more normal fashion than what they had before. So yes, they have moved forward in faithfulness. They have moved forward in success, but the battle is not over. Our enemy never rests and neither can we. Two, Satan's chief weapon is compromise. If he can just get us to compromise even just a little, he will take it and he'll keep going. Small compromises over time add up. Error increases over distance. One small mistake is not normally fatal. A thousand small mistakes in the same direction over time, that leads to a very large compromise that we didn't, see coming rationalizing each one along the way as okay until suddenly as the jewish nobles we find ourselves bound by oath to someone who does not have our best interest in mind to somebody who does not want to see us faithful to god and now these people didn't know what to do how do we break that oath an oath in that culture was something sacred you didn't break it And yet they're bound to something that is completely antithetical to everything they're trying to do. And Nehemiah knew it. And so, if his chief weapon is compromise, even small compromises, then the third thing we have to remember and do is repent when we sin. When we do fall for his tricks, and we all do, stop right then. Admit it to God. And take steps to turn away from it. None of us walks this path perfectly. The point is, is that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father that we can stop at any time and go back and say, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I know it was a sin. Here's the sin. God cleanse me from it and lead me in a path that's righteous. I confess it to you. If we will do that over and over, God protects his people. It's when we refuse to repent that things get really bad. And so I want you to listen, speaking of Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Neighbor, For we are members of one another. What you do matters to me. What I do matters to you. We are not independent of each other. In the body of Christ, we are connected. And your health or bad health affects me. My health or bad health affects you. And we cannot think of ourselves as independent from each other. He says here, speak truth, put away falsehood, speak truth with the neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what? Give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity. That's those compromise. Just don't let him. If you know it, don't let it happen. Don't give him an opportunity in your life. Because Satan is the kind that you crack the door, he's coming all the way in. That's his goal every time. And everything he does is with the express purpose of destroying you and those around you. And he will take whatever ground you're willing to seed. Whatever ground you're willing to give, he'll take it gladly. And that's why Paul says, give no opportunity for the devil. You've got to look at your own life and say, am I giving him opportunities? Am I giving him a way in? Am I leaving the door open? Am I leaving the back door unlocked? Am I giving him a way in? And as we start to guard against that kind of compromise, then this is what, this is what will guide us, is we've got to know the bigger purpose of what we're doing. As I said, the wall was not Nehemiah's ultimate goal. He didn't show up and build a wall and then go back and say, well, you guys figured the rest out. My work here is finished. All I wanted to do is show you how to build a wall. We did it. I'm out. That wasn't his goal. What was the bigger purpose of what he was trying to accomplish? He wants to rebuild his city and his people and his culture. He wants Jerusalem to be a light to the Gentile world around them again because they have the knowledge of God. They have the temple of God. They have the words of God and the prophets. He wants them to know. And he wants to see his people flourish. And that's how he's able so quickly to go from we're building the wall, we finish the wall, boom, now we're doing this. You know why? Because he knows the bigger purpose of what they're doing. And he always had that bigger purpose in mind. He never let it go. Now, we quoted this verse when we started, Nehemiah. I want to bring it up again. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Guess what? It's time to build the house. For Nehemiah, the outside work is done. He finished the wall. So now what do they do? They start building the houses. Okay, in 7.4, in uh, Nehemiah 7.4, it talks about that it was a large city, but none of the houses had yet been rebuilt inside of it. Now it's time to focus there. Nehemiah knows this. So what does he do? He appoints people that are godly to be in charge. He starts all of the work necessary now to rebuild the culture from the inside now that the outside work is done. And he didn't miss a beat. He didn't wait. He didn't stop. He didn't pause. He didn't say, okay, I've done my work here. I did more than I should have. You know, I fed a whole bunch of people out of my own pie. I made all tremendous sacrifices, so I think it's okay for me to step back now. What did he do? He went right to the next phase. 
Oh, we have the gates. We set the gates. We set the bars. We got it all good to go. Okay, put a guard over there and over there at the gates. Don't open the gate until the sun's high in the sky so there's no surprise attack. And we're going to secure the city so we can start building on the inside. He didn't wait. You see, the real work was building God's kingdom, even for Nehemiah. The real work for all of us is building God's kingdom in this world. Everything we do should come back to that. Everything, every song that we sing in here, every sermon that we have, every Bible study, every small group, everything that we do should come back to building God's kingdom on earth and my involvement in it. Now, I've got to grow as a disciple if I want to build in his kingdom because I've got to be able to do it. So I have to walk faithfully. I have to be a part of it. But the bigger purpose is not just me and God. I can't just reach a certain level of spiritual maturity and say, okay, well, my work here is done. When I reach a certain level of spiritual maturity, you know what that means? That means I've opened a whole new world of work where now I get to help disciple other people. And I get to help build God's kingdom within the church because now I'm qualified to do so. And it just keeps going. It never ends. We don't arrive. In the book of Acts, Jesus told him, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? First in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and what? the ends of the earth well that needs to be our vision here as well we need to be jesus's witnesses first in pleasant hill then in cass county then in the state of missouri you know where this is going to the outermost parts of the world to me i think faithful church that's been around as long as this church has we should have our own missionaries out in the world. Our own. Not just supporting Lottie Moon. Not just supporting the Southern Baptist Convention. But we should be raising up missionaries out of our own congregation that are going out and we are supporting them. But somewhere along the way, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I just want us to build a wall. Okay, I just want us to build and then keep building. But somewhere along the way, we started relying on yesterday's faithfulness. And yeah, we are here today because people before us were faithful. I want to make sure that tomorrow, when we're all gone in the future, the, this church is still here because of what we did today. And that we pass a torch of faithfulness, missions work, loving your neighbor, making disciples to everybody, because that is the real work. How we do that work changes through the years, but not really. It does some, but people are people and they need to hear about Jesus and they need to repent, put their trust in him. That message hasn't changed for 2,000 years and it's not going to change. So we have to be about the work. Know the bigger picture of what God has called you to. And that's not just in this church, but that's in your own life as well. What is the bigger picture that God has called you to in this world? Because if he calls you to something specific, like building a wall, like, like something that you know is intense and we're going to get this done, it's going to serve a bigger purpose. You don't get to finish that and it's like, okay, now I'm done. Look at that. Yay me. 
it's going to lead to the next thing. And so I want to close with these two questions. What is God's big picture vision for your life? As you do your small groups this week and everything, I want people to put real thought and effort into answering this. Okay, you're going to meet in small groups. If you've signed up with one, this question is on your discussion questions. I want real answers on this. What is God's big picture vision for your life right now? And then second, are you willing to take the steps necessary to achieve it? What would have to change in your life to truly accomplish that vision? To be that person? And let me go back again. If that first question doesn't, if the answer to that first question doesn't scare you a little bit, you're thinking too small. God doesn't give safe visions. You won't find any of them in Scripture. He doesn't call people to safe. He calls people to faithfulness. And that faithfulness means boldness. That faithfulness means stepping out in faith in ways that we don't inherently want to do. What is God's big picture vision for your life? And what's it going to take to do it? Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you, and Lord, I thank you for every person in here. God, I thank you for all those that are watching at home, online, God, wherever they may be. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of this moment of vision right now, together. And God, I pray this week, as we ask and answer that question of what is our big picture vision for life. God, I pray you start something, that you light a fire in this church. That God, it's not just about being consumers, but about being producers as well. You have called us to produce for your kingdom. And God, I pray that you put that vision, even if it starts small, God, that that vision that grows like the mustard seed it becomes something life-giving. Something that drives this church. That drives us to you. And to, to, to love you and to love each other. And to share your gospel with those who don't know it. God, start that fire. And God, whatever, whatever compromise, whatever fear, whatever pride, whatever sin may be standing in the way of doing this, God, in, in all of us, God. And we pray that you would give us a spirit of repentance, that we would turn from it and towards you. That we would embrace your vision as life. That we would see faithfulness as success. And that, God, that we would have our guard up against compromise. God, this is about you, what you have done, what you are going to do. God, we're just servants who want to serve faithfully give us our orders tell us what you want us to do god and we'll do it it's in jesus holy name we pray amen